7.30. Now, even more surprising than Italy's high election turnout of over 71% was the result, with a huge chunk of seats going to centre-right and populist parties. At least that's how it's been viewed. But you've got figures like Steve Bannon, remember? Close aide to the uh, United States President Donald Trump. Um, He'd been an architect, as the New York Times describes him, of President Trump's populist message. Uh, but was uh, forced out as chief strategist and, and then went on a tour of Europe. And he's been in Italy to help apparently build populism, which in itself is worthy of discussion. Let's first bring in Stefano Stefanini, former ambassador and diplomatic advisor to the president of Italy, and now joins us on the line. And thank you for taking the time. Uh, thank you very much. Good morning. And uh, first of all, let me congratulate uh uh, Korea with the successful uh, Winter Olympics that we all enjoyed. That was a pleasure to watch. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And let me add a little tagline there and say tomorrow we'll have the opening ceremony for the Paralympics. So we hope you can still enjoy. Um, but speaking of your your election over there, can you explain for us the results? Well, the results of being a, a, like a... a 180-degree uh, reversal of the previous situation. You have, we have now what you call uh, the mainstream uh, parties, center, left, and the sort of traditional center-right, which is the Berlusconi Forza Italia party, that cover approximately one-third of the parliament. Uh, while the different uh, uh, movements or parties that you would identify with uh, anti-system uh, or populist, or you know, d- depending on uh, which label you want to, to use, uh, represent approximately two thirds of the uh, of the seats in both houses, uh, and that uh, has a huge impact. The um, the rise of the right, though, is something that's been getting a lot of attention. I, I mentioned the New York Times before because I was reading an article on, on how Steve Bannon was in Europe trying to drum up support for populism. But it also makes this comment that the political centre has so shifted that Silvio Berlusconi um, is, is viewed as, as being in the centre despite campaigning on the promise to, to throw out 600,000 undocumented migrants which you know in many parts of the world would be considered a very right-wing message can you just tell us where that leaves us now well it, it is considered a very right-wing message also uh, in italy um Ber- berlusconi the the uh, deportation of 600,000 uh, undocumented migrants was uh, uh an electoral promise made by Berlusconi's ally, the League, Matteo Salvini's uh, League, and Berlusconi endorsed it. Uh, what happened is that uh, uh, that uh, traditional center-right coalition, which used to be dominated by the center-right Berlusconi party, Forza Italia, is now as now. Matteo Salvini's league as dominant force. Um, uh, 
the league overtook uh, Forza Italia by four full percentage points, uh, 18 to uh, 14, which is a complete reversal of the, of the relationship. Uh, so what we used to call center-right coalition is now a center-extreme-right coalition. What does all this mean? Does this mean that Italy's going to start following a Brexit-style movement? Uh, does it mean that uh, it's going to put even more pressure on the European Union as a whole? Uh, it does. Uh, uh, I think the, the fog is still to lift over these, uh, these results. Um, uh, what, what you have uh, in these results... You have uh, two winners, both uh, uh, sort of belonging to this uh, populist revolution that Steve Bannon uh, uh, went went to Italy to uh, encourage, uh, or at least witness uh, what because he called that this, ele- this election would have been, and he was right, a Trump uh, momentum uh, in Europe. You have uh, the Five Star Movement, which, which rang solo as a party and became the largest party in Italy, polling 32%. And you have, within the centre-right, the League, which has been the, the, uh, the dominant force. Those are the two souls, if you wish, of this uh, populist uh, victory uh, uh, in Italy. Stefano Stefanini, former ambassador and diplomatic advisor to the President of Italy. We we do have to leave it there, but thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your valuable insight. You're very welcome. Have a good day. We're going to continue and broaden this conversation out. I mean, speaking of the EU, populist parties have obviously been on the rise across Europe Really, since the 2008 financial crisis, that might be viewed in hindsight as a, as a turning point. Dr. Maxime Larivez, previously been on our show, is a senior research associate at the EU Centre of the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and joins us on the line. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I just want to start by asking your opinion on Steve Bannon's meddling in European affairs and trying to drive populism. Is is that surprising to you? Is it unwelcome to you? Are you disappointed? I mean, what's your overall prevailing reaction? Well, I think what we've seen since pretty much the Brexit vote is a greater connection between uh, populist uh, leaders uh, on both sides of the Atlantic um, you know, I think we, we tend to, to, to believe that this populist movement really began with the election of Donald Trump. But what really kickstarted the process was really uh, the Brexit vote. And uh, what we've seen since the Brexit vote and then afterwards the, the election of uh, President Trump was, you know, a movement of uh, leadership, for instance, uh, Nigel Farage. Uh, the head of UKIP, no, that's not anymore the head of UKIP, uh, has been in the U.S. on several occasions to talk uh, about, uh, you know, uh, the, the need for the U.S. to regain sovereignty and, and bring that 
that message, uh, you know, that that we've heard now for the last uh, two or three years. And if you may recall, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, during the major uh, conservative uh, convention in Washington, D.C., uh, Marion Maréchal Le Pen, kind of the one of the figurehead of the French uh, far-right party, was invited as a key speaker to talk. And, you know, now having uh, Bannon uh, talking about uh, those issues in Europe seems kind of fair. And, uh, you know, uh, in now the, the, new, uh, the new normal of this constant movement on both sides of the Atlantic. But, but why do outsiders care so much about what happens? I mean, in hindsight, looking at Brexit, it looks like they wanted to see the breakup of the European Union, the, or at least the European Union, to be heavily undermined, perhaps to benefit the United States, or, you know, it depends where you're from, if you're from Russia, to benefit Russia. Is that also what's happening with Italy, or do, do they genuinely care about these populist movements for what they are? Yeah, you know, I think you. I think when we look at these populist movements, we we need to be careful with uh, the leaders of those movements uh, that tend to be uh, quite well uh, educated, and they can craft really an argument that directly respond to. Uh, kind of the anger uh, occurring uh, in those different um, in these different countries that would be in Italy, in Austria, in the Netherlands, uh, in Germany, in the U.S. And then after that, looking inside each country and how you have a specific, you know, uh, feelings, you know, that we can see some commonalities uh, across those different populist. Uh, uh, populist uh, beliefs in some ways, and and you know they usually come down to to the same issues of uh, regaining national sovereignty and the belief that multilateralism or regionalism is undermining kind of like the national autonomy. There is always this concept around uh, immigration and migration, um, and then there is uh, this ethno-centric argument that was brought and raised by. Uh, very clearly by uh, President Trump during his speech in Poland uh, over the summer. And and those issues can really ally, uh, you know, uh, kind of like the leaders and and the the population. Now, you know, that's the rhetoric part of it. Then when it comes to policies, it seems that these movements uh, kind of struggle once in power, uh, once, you know, in position of governing to to kind of implement these agendas because of the lack of consistency, I would argue, between rhetorics and the reality of policymaking. Another American publication, the Washington Post, had a headline, the Italian election results will be a nightmare for the EU. Do you agree? Would you go that far to say that it's going to be that destructive? Yes, uh, I think so. Uh, you know, right after the, the results, uh, the head of the Front National, the extreme right uh, party of France, Marine Le Pen, uh, tweeted, uh, you know, uh, Europe is going to have a bad night. And I think she's correct on this. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, Italy is going to leave uh, the euro or the EU not anytime soon. But what we um, see is, uh, we finally have a some sort of 
pro-EU uh, government in France. Uh, Germany finally uh, has uh, finalized a coalition and can now start reforming or work with the French. And now the last piece of the puzzle to really reform the European Union, uh, you know, in addressing those economic weaknesses and structural problems was Italy. And now that you have a, uh, you know, Italian, um, uh, Italian political system that's uh, very unclear because they still don't have a government, it will take quite some time, most likely it won't happen before next week. And then depending on the kind of negotiation that will occur between the different parties uh, and the appointment of the prime minister and the kind of vote of confidence uh, that prime minister and his cabinet will receive, that could have an impact on the type of reform uh, that uh, the French and the Germans wanted to implement. And uh, we could see some sort of a uh, you know, stumbling block within the EU uh, in order to, to limit those reforms. So I think in those terms, uh, it could be quite uh, tricky uh, for uh, this grand reform envisioned by Macron and supported by Merkel. For any uh, even casual student or observer of 20th century history, though, the, the, the thought must surely be arising. Does Italy have such a, a short memory? Uh, a lot of the global focus on the horrors of the 20th century seems to be restricted to countries like Germany and, and the Nazi regime. But of course, Benito Mussolini's fascism was, was not exactly palatable either. But is there, is there almost a kind of nostalgia for that that's been able to survive? Yes and no. Uh, I think there is uh, this disbelief sometimes when you look back at history that the past was uh, cleaner, safer, and the country was uh, stronger. But once you open up, you know, the this complex box of history, you realize that it was not really uh, that uh, much better and that that much uh, safer. Um, so, so in some ways, yes. Um, but I think one needs to be careful as well, uh, you know, in comparing at that point, at least the, the five-star movements that tend to be much more on the left side than on the right side. And, and then as well, you know, the, the, the Northern League, which is really a traditional extreme right party as well, uh, you know, along the line of the Front National and some others, um, I think it is it is not really clear that we're going down this road, but mm. certainly it seems that, uh, you know, I mean, in the U.S., uh, where now uh, I live, I mean, uh, some of the narratives towards, uh, you know, those uh, past regime uh, seems to be much uh, softened uh, on things that I would have never expected 10 years ago uh, to, re- to read such attraction uh, towards you know, Nazism or fascism and, and those different kind of things. And speaking of history, do you see much relevance in this idea of Italy having a, a very divided past until relatively recently? Actually, I mean, that's something that Italy and Germany had in in common before the grip of fascism or right-wing politics took hold. The fact that they'd experienced relatively recent unifications as nations compared with, say, Britain, where fascism wasn't able to take hold in that early part of the 20th century. Do, do you think that Italy has fundamental problems still with divisions regionally? Uh, 
this is uh, this is a central problem for Italy. Um, you know, this question of um, uh, unity and centrality. Um, for instance, the Northern League, uh, the party that kind of um, become the, the second one, uh, extreme right, led by um, uh, Mr. Salvini, uh, for a really long time was calling for a split between the north and the south of Italy uh, for, you know, obvious economic reasons. Um, he has much more softened this uh, claim and this argument in this recent campaign, uh, where it was really much more uh, centered around, you know, the question of uh, immigration, migration, security, and, and those kinds of, of issues that kind of make the bread and, bro- uh, the bread and, uh, the bread and butter of, of these parties. Uh, but, you know, within the EU system as well, what we've seen is uh, questions of, uh, you know, uh, secession outside of the EU is always very contentious for the Italian. Uh, and they, they try to, to stay as far away from, from these issues. And, and we've very much seen it in the outcome of this election, a split between the north, uh, really the, the, the whole northern part, top of Tuscany, uh, really under the northern league, and then the whole south under uh, the five-star movement, uh, uh, you know, reflecting this real problem that Italy has been confronting for mm. decades, this, this problem of poverty. Dr. Larry V, it's a fascinating subject, of course, within the context of just Italy, but really big implications for the EU, obviously, as well, of the, the recent vote. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure.